On this episode of Estate of Control, we welcome in a couple of manufacturers in the control space. They help us talk a little bit about trends, what programmers can expect, and the importance of the user experience. All that and more on Estate of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. State of Control, Episode 88, Better Idiot. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sennheiser. For over 75 years, Sennheiser has been a leader in pro audio and is now offering a wide variety of touchless and traditional audio solutions for both corporate and educational campus-wide audio. Welcome to A State of Control, an aviation podcast that highlights the control, programming, and automation aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So today's show is going to be a little bit different. Normally, we talk about programming from a programmer's perspective, and we have programmers who are on the show and, and discussing different topics that, that, that they struggle with. And today, we're going to hear things a little bit differently from the perspective of manufacturers. So we've uh, brought on two uh, industry manufacturers that are in the control space, and I'm going to introduce them to you. And before I do, I'd like to say hi to my partner here at Estate of Control. He's none other than Uncle Richie, and is, he also goes by Rich Fragoza. How are you, Rich? I'm doing good. I, I, I have to full disclosure here. I, you know, again, I, I probably should get a technology person involved because I didn't look correctly at my calendar request, so I came sliding in at the last second to come in. But I'm not going to miss this one because this is uh, pretty important stuff. So hurried, unrushed. I'm unmel- It's unmellow West Coast greetings, but now I'm settling in. So it's good to be here. It's good to we see you. We always keep the seat warm for you. Don't worry. So, so uh, first, we have two newcomers to the show, um, and uh, first wanted to say hi and welcome to somebody who I've gotten to know over the past few years, uh, trade shows and events. His name is Greg Matson, and he's from QSC. Welcome, Greg. Thanks, Steve. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here. And uh, last but not least, uh, he's newcomer to State of Control, but a familiar face to other AV uh, Nation shows such as Resi Week and AV Week. And he's with a new company uh, in the past few months. He's Ken Eagle from Hall Technologies. Welcome, Ken. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So, uh, there's been a lot of movement these days in the control side, and we, those of you that can think back and go back to the days where there used to be two big players and programmers just needed to know those two platforms and programming languages, and if you were experts there, you pretty much wrote your own ticket. Um, those those things days have changed a bit. Um, the the role of a programmer has, has changed, which we often talk about. The what programmers need to know has changed. And also, we've opened the door to a lot more possibilities and, and a lot more manufacturers who are players in the market. 
So today we're going to talk a lot about that and, and where are things headed and, and what programmers need to know. So Rich, you and I, um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, we kind of go back to those days where, you know, if you, if you, if you really were good, uh, you, you cornered the market and you knew what needed to, to be done and you were an expert at, at the, the two big guys and, and you kind of wrote your own ticket from there. But you know, somebody now, uh, they kind of have some choices to make, and, and it's a lot harder to, to really get in to the, the AV uh, control space from a programmer standpoint. So where, where would you recommend that somebody start? Well, I'm going to you know, shout out to the manufacturers here. And, and honestly, as somebody who just completed uh, a day-long certification process for um, a, a new system, is training. Uh, you know, I, again, I'm closer to the end of my career than I am to the beginning of my career. And what I am learning uh, at times of the things that I can't necessarily delegate uh, is that it's really important to make use of the tools that the manufacturers are providing. Because it's, it's it, manufacturers really do go out of their way for their vendors and their dealers. I mean, we may gripe and, you know, it's, 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 it, you know, you, you always, it's kind of the, the nature of the industry is nobody ever says anything to you until they think you're doing something wrong. <laughs> but this is one of those things that, you know, I, I truly believe the manufacturers and the individuals involved, and especially on the training side of things, um, really they're, you know, they're, it's a service oriented side of the business that doesn't always get a lot of credit for what they're doing because they live and breathe making their systems easier and relatable and useful and pro provide the tools and you know the i the, the complaint of uh technology programmers and consultants is the same i think of people who do training courses when you think you make something idiot proof they built a better idiot so um you know, a, 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 really a big part of it is that um, it is constantly keeping up your professional learning environment as, as you're in this business. And it's accelerating. It's not decelerating because there are so many more options because we've moved from a hardware to a software world. And, and once we as an industry, which is kind of funny because this is what we do, but from the integration side of the business, which is what we interface with, embraces the fact that we're a software world now, period. It, it's We have some parts that are still some outliers, but because it's a software world, things are going to move exponentially faster. And it's not that you have to go through a training every three years because a new hard piece of hardware came out. Now you're possibly going through training every six months because there's significant revisions made to the software that is running things that those revisions are made from feedback from training and from the field and everything else that says, Hey, this would be so much better if you did this. And then they do it, but then they have to get that info back to the dealer. So I mean, you know, it's, it's, it really is as much a responsibility for the integrator who's selling this stuff to stay up to breast with the manufacturers who they're selling as it is for the manufacturers to keep up to date on the training that they're providing. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 I'd love to say it's getting easier. It's not that it's getting more difficult. It's just that it's getting, um, a little bit more fractured because you have so many options that you were talking about. And when we only had two options, 
that's all we ever had to worry about, right? There was only like six things that you had to deal with. And, and you could dive deep into those six things. Well, now there's 60 and more coming. Well, and they, they didn't change as much either. So, you know, you, you went through training and, and it was solid for a year before you had to learn something new. And to your point, now it's changing fast and we're getting feedback from everybody right away. We're making changes on the fly. And so you got to retool again quicker. Yeah, you're right on. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good. I mean, both of you, I think it's a really good point. Ken, what you just said in terms of um, taking that feedback and getting to it quicker. I think your point earlier, Rich, about the more software centric nature of our of our industry, um, you where we are. The platforms that play in the control space nowadays are definitely a whole lot less um, locked in than they used to be. Um, even even the bigger players who have been around forever are playing with new technologies, um, definitely trying to uh, uh, help push the programmers of our industry into. I, I mean, you know, hopefully it's extensible. It's extensible across across platforms, skill sets, not necessarily specifics to proprietary languages and stuff like that, but at least they're they're teaching best practices and things that that can be used. Um, other places, especially for organizations, for the integration organizations and, and the independent programmers who make their money on more than one control solution or more than one uh, AV platform. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think there's a responsibility um, at the manufacturer level um, for us to do a better job. And I say this, I say this, sometimes this gets misconstrued. So I'm going to try to I'm going to try to clarify it in advance. But we have a responsibility to hold their hands a little bit more um, when it comes to especially the early early stages of their career. Um, and and also one thing I've I've I, I feel lucky in is that when I started my career in AV, um, I did my part of my responsibility was training, teaching training classes to people. Sometimes I was teaching people how to use their computer as as a portion of the class, which as a trainer is a little frustrating. But you get to understand more psychology about the adult learner and how very how we all learn in different ways. Um, and this, um, you know, being handed content or having a you know a, a knowledge base article or a white paper to read and then try to figure stuff out doesn't work for everybody. Um, so this kind of continuous churn of having new training content and and making that content more digestible uh and uh and better engaging i mean i i sometimes i i i watch training videos uh, not and including some of some some content that's been generated by organizations that i've worked for and i feel like i'm watching those uh that 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 industrial um controller video that that like turned into a meme where there there's a guy talking about all the features and it sounds like he's talking in a made-up language um and it's like uh, th those are the types of things that either you get confused or it puts you to sleep. Uh, and I don't know how effective those, those, those solutions can be. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think you're, you're right, Greg, about the responsibility on the manufacturer to help educate uh, our um, consumer base, not just on the product, but it becomes an understanding at, at a foundational level around AV, because it's one thing to teach somebody about your product or about your control product. But if they need, 
education at a, at a level lower than that, foundational AV understanding, AV basics, whether that's, you know, uh, cabling, control signals, uh, basics of programming. There's some base level of knowledge that you need to make sure everybody has before they dive into especially your advanced products. Uh, because if they don't have that foundational knowledge set, ultimately what that means is they're going to have a bad experience rolling out your advanced product or my advanced product, and then their end user is going to have a bad experience too. And that's not good for any of us, and it's not good for the industry either. So it helps if we, if we all provide that foundational level, and we build off of that into our advanced products with quality training, as you mentioned. And, and I've had been fortunate enough to have worked for two manufacturers before the one I'm at now and I ran global training programs for both of them and you're absolutely right I mean uh, there's good content and then there's content that's hard to follow that you don't learn from so one of the things that we talk about a lot and, I, and thank you guys this is uh, I, I appreciate where we're going with it one of the things that we talk about a lot is is it's almost like a chicken and an egg when when a programmer needs to get started um do we look for a good programmer who knows how to program and write code, or do we look for somebody who knows AV and get them to to learn programming? And and uh, and and I think it could be argued both ways, and different people have had different uh, di di different experiences with with that. And and I think that it depends a little bit. But uh, Craig, I'll, I'll let you uh, jump in on that. Yeah, I mean, this is. The, this kind of uh, uh, workflow enablement um, and where I, f I find being a control, helping helping design control solutions for the industry as it exists right now is um, to simultaneously fun and really unnerving. Um, and I'm sure Ken can, can agree with this because of where there's a lot of, there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of stakeholders and you, you can't you can't cater to everyone. You can try, but you might muddy you might muddy your waters. Um, I I think uh, where where we are going, and, and this this kind of goes back to the that that kind of handholding analogy is I think I think we're all trying to elevate elevate what what is available uh, from an integration standpoint in in the industry. Um, and, and, and what kind of technology we can do. Um, but you have, I mean, I'll, I'll use myself as an example because it's easier than comparing it to other people. But, you know, I came from live production AV um, a million years ago. So when I started getting into the installed AV systems and AV programming, um, I did not come from a, a computer science background where uh and and i had like you know i had the hobbyist level of knowledge because i'm a giant nerd um on on programming languages but but what ended up clicking for me was trying to tie everything back to signal flow it's like if you know how to run an audio board you can figure out how to how to program av uh and you don't even have to know how to run an audio board very well you just need to know how to how how to get from microphone to speaker and you can and you can program an AV system um, is how it was explained to me and that was eventually what clicked but now we have people who are coming from different backgrounds uh, different uh, different um, uh, well not only different backgrounds but different levels of knowledge especially when it comes to programming in general um, and the two the the traditional AV person of which I put myself in that category and the 
programmer of the future may not always get they're they're trying to get to the same place but they're going to take different trajectories and it's trying to strategically plan how we're going to help get them from point a to point b for both of those types of people um it's a it's a it's a, like i said it's a fun problem to solve but it can mm -hmm. it can be pr frustrating at, at times you know also steve if i could take a step back and think about this i think that the element that drives how we do control has changed, right? Because if we go back to your earlier example where we had, you know, two big name companies who developed programming, what was the element that drove that then? Well, we had some technology needed to control it, so they wrote they wrote programming and told us how to do it. Today, it doesn't work that day. Today, we're driven by this stuff and whatever our customers are getting all over the media everywhere. And the customers are coming and saying, well, I want to control it from this or I want to control it from that. I want to do it you know, on the web. I want to do it wherever I'm at. And so now we're going back in it and we're taking our, our – what's driving us to program is, is a different input, a different stimulus. Now. And so we have to look at it from a different way. And so anybody who's programming today, you've got to step back and look at it and go, okay – what is what is relevant to the way my customer does business or the way my customer relaxes in their home or the way my uh, customer uh, communicates with other people? And how do I use that technology that's relevant to their business and tie that into what we're doing with, with control? And the pandemic has further accelerated that. I mean, this stuff's been happening for years, right? We've, we've, been, we've been seeing that change. But uh, rewind a year and a half ago when we put the brakes on, now we come out to where we are today. Everything has changed. Even our supply system, as we were talking about earlier, has flipped upside down and changed. So we're looking at new ways to do things. And that means innovation and it means new ways that we're going to program too. So anybody who's in programming today or looking to get into programming from an integration or, or a straight programmer side, I think you need to look at what's relevant to the way you communicate today, what's relevant to the way your customers interact with things today, and program from that angle because that's going to be your driver. And just so that anybody just listening, Ken was pointing to a mobile device. So just to, to clarify on that, but so, so basically what, what, I, what I'm hearing and, and what I, I, I can fully understand is that we have to be thinking more about the experience and about what it is that we want, not necessarily how we're going to program it, but what is the outcome that we're looking for that you guys are, are saying. Yeah. yeah. Understanding your goals and your applications. Rich, uh, uh, I'll, let, I'll let you jump in from from a programmer's perspective. Is that something that we're doing a good enough job of these days, or are we too focused on the tech? You know, it's it's the double-edged sword. You have to be focused on the tech in order to make things work, and you have to consider the overall experience. Um, you know, I, I I I always find that it goes back to where the culture of a company comes from um, kind of weird aside i didn't come to this industry from the technical computer science side i came from a film background i came from an, an artist background and so um, my mediums were always more visual and the experience and the visceral effect and i found that where our company has been successful is that we tried to hold dear to that which was you know, kind of the, the the concept of suspension of disbelief when dealing with control systems, right? A visceral experience that there's a, there's an emotion that comes from the experience, whether it's comfort, excitement, you know, entertainment, any of those things, and being able to use that side of your brain to 
you know, what, what do we always, the, the complaint that we always get from end users, whether it's commercial, government, school, or residential is, I just want something simple. I just want something that normal people would use, right? That I, I, you can't be in this industry and not have had that told to you at least a dozen times. It's just, it's just how things work in this industry. And so, you know, sometimes we, we, we have that running joke. There's some programmers and people that we have that are fantastic at the coding side of things that we don't like to talk to people because they deal better with the machine than they deal with people. And then you have people who are great at getting and distilling the information of what the result is, but couldn't, you know, you know, there's still one finger pecking at the keyboard. So you have to find that balance. You you have to be willing to engage both sides of that brain from, from your company and your culture standpoint. If you get too caught up in the technical, you're going to forget the human element. And if you get too caught up in the human element, you're going to have things sitting out there breaking that you don't know necessarily what's going on. So, you know, it's, it's this dance that occurs. And if you're good, you know, you, you try to walk that line as well as you can. If you're learning, you tend to veer to one side, then you veer to the other side. Then you veer to one side and you veer to the other side. And, you know, what I, I'm finding, again, with these tools, now in the old days, it's like we'd have to fly to a city and, you know, there'd be 30 of us in a room and there, you know, there, heck, there were desktops on tables. And you'd sit there and, you you know, you'd have the projector up and you'd spend three days going through something, you know, and then everybody go to dinner and have drinks and, you know, and you built the camaraderie side of things in terms of the, the people, the teams. You got to, you know, a big part of it was the teams and learn, meaning, placing faces and names to the emails or the trouble calls. Pandemic comes in, we can't be near each other. So the whole nature of training, even in the industry, has quickly pivoted. Like like Ken was saying, we had to flip things upside down. So the good news <laughs> is that from the technical side, the modules got a lot better. The training modules have gotten a lot better. There's a whole lot more FAQs where I can type in, how do I? And all of a sudden, brrr, things pop up. Where in the old days, if you didn't attend the twice a year manufacturer training and didn't get the secret sauce. Hey, I'm going to show you stuff. Uh, info. You, you were up a creek because that's what set you off, you know, to being the specialist. And so, you know, it's a flattening of the field, but you have to be willing from the integrator side to put the effort in. And so that's what I'm finding a lot more is that there's not as many secret meetings <laughs> for me to get like the juicy stuff. But the effort that I put in pulling out what the manufacturers spent the time doing, it's accelerated what, you know, and it, it's made us better at what we do. But it, I mean, it's tough. It, it, I just, I'd love to say it. I mean, again, I'm, I'm doing my trainings early in the morning or late at night because I know I don't have time during the middle of the day. You know, I could task somebody, but again, we've got businesses to run coming out of this pandemic. And so the reality too is that there's only so many hours in the day and, and you have to figure out how to build your craft. And, and, you know, these manufacturers are actually giving us the tools. We're just a little stubborn in that, you know, like Greg said, it, they hate handholding, but they know they have to do it. We don't like admitting that we want our hands held, but we do. And so once we get past that part and everybody says, hey, look, you got to put in the work, you know, th good things happen. Oh, I was just going to say, I definitely think it's in that that 
constant learning that and that then what I've been referring to as hand holding. Uh, I think that's that's how we elevate ourselves as an industry. Also, is 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 if we get locked into familiar tools and we don't look beyond our box, um, and we don't pay attention to what's even happening outside of our industry, um, it, you know, we stop innovating. Ken, I was going to have you comment on on that a little bit and maybe follow up on what you said. Is it is it the manuf- so so some manufacturers are trying to make things simple and consistent and trying to keep programmers from getting themselves in trouble. And is that more of the norm, the trend, or is it that? And is that because pro- programmers aren't taking enough time to be looking at that user experience that that you were alluding to, or is this just a, another way to be able to uh, have that side be be taken care of so that the programmer can really focus on on the hard parts well i think it's i don't think there's one answer to it right i think it's a combination of of a couple of things that you brought up the thing to remember is programming is complicated it's important i mean you could buy all of the best electronic devices on the market but if you can't turn them on and operate them they don't do that customer a whole lot of good. So the programming is very important. So from a manufacturer side, building a simpler solution for your integrators to put in is very important. And you know you want to make your product more attract, attractive and you want it to be easier to use. Uh, secondly, from a, a programmer standpoint, um, you need to understand how to use all that. As Rich mentioned, you don't have a lot of time in the day to do training and to learn this stuff. So building a system that's that has lower barrier to entry is, is attractive to an integrator and, and to a, uh, a programmer because they can get in and, and get proficient at it quicker. And third, from a design standpoint, there's so many elements out there today. There are so many uh, electronics that are changing. It used to be, you know, we, we'd see new products every year. And now every quarter, somebody's got a new product out. I mean, they, they just change really fast or there's a, at least a software update for those. And so that oftentimes means uh, a for the programmer, a change was made to a product in the field to a, a completed system. So how do you go back in now and update programming or a driver to work with new hardware that's in there without really spending a lot of time or maybe necessarily rolling a truck uh, if something was hot swapped in the field and you can just get to it remotely and make an update. So I think it's a little bit of all of these elements. You know, I, I think manufacturers need, need to have uh, you know, a, a better product. Uh, they also need to have better training, as we've talked about. And then from a programmer and integrator side, you've got to have something that you can feel comfortable with and get in there. And, and without losing an employee to, you know, a week or more out of the field to go learn to train something and then come back and you've still got, you know, time to, to play with it and to get really familiar with it, become proficient. That's a massive barrier barrier to entry today for, for a solution. So, finding ways around that and then continuing to work with that design and make sure both the programmer and the manufacturer have a solution for the customer that is uh, adaptable as that customer's needs grow. Tools that grow with you without requiring you to start over. So as we're, we're getting close to the end, I wanted to give each of you guys a chance to kind of, kind of give us your take on what, what's to come. Uh, you know, where, where are things headed? What, what do the trends look like? What, what, what should we know about? And, and this audience, mostly are, are programmers or people that want to understand uh, the, the role of a programmer a little bit better. 
Um, Greg, I'll start with you. I, I know QSC is, has already adopted some um, mainstream hardware appliances. There, you know, a lot is being done on the network and, and, and also with some modern programming languages. But, but what's, um, what's something that we should be thinking about and, and, and uh, where, where you, even you as a person, see, see the industry heading? Yeah, I, I, I actually, honestly, it's something, what I, it's something that even Ken said earlier. I'll, I'll give, <laughs> we're, we're in sync at least on a couple of these things where, um, I think user experience is, um, I think it's, I think an increased emphasis on user experience, it's already there. I mean, with the the comparison to the personal and consumer electronics is is real and has been for quite some time, but uh, if you look at if you look at what QSC and other other platforms are doing, um, other control platforms are doing, we're definitely trying to push ourselves into into a into a, a place where uh, the AV programmer, the, the the typical AV programmer, is able to deliver more advanced user experience. That's that is, in 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 its own word, simple to the end user, despite the fact that it may be more complex to the person who's building the solution. Um, and how we get there and how we enable these things, the the pandemic especially, you know, there's, I, I feel like it's a it's a it's always been an interesting thing when, as control leaders, we are we're not talking about automation as much. Like it comes and goes in waves, um, but but the pandemic itself has definitely brought um, automation as well as you know data analytics how how do we manage our tools all of these things are being brought a whole lot more to the for forefront um, again and and that and I think all of those are also pieces of the of the user experiences how do we how do we build and deploy smart spaces that um, are more adaptable to the ever-changing landscape of my customers needs um, and and what do I do as a manufacturer uh, to help enable um, the people leveraging my product uh, when delivering those solutions, and and I and that I mean for me, that's definitely kind of the bigger the biggest thing that um, that QSC and and especially the control team at QSC is trying to focus on. Ken, a similar question. I I know Hall is is announced a, a new uh, control platform and and uh, very exciting uh, product release and. Whether it's from your past experience or where where things are going uh, with, with with this product, where where do you see uh, the industry heading in the future? Is there are, are there some tips or guides you would give to those that are, are looking to to prepare for that? Yeah, um, so two two thoughts initially here, and let me piggyback off of what what Greg said. I mean, post pandemic, that user experience is really big. Because the way that user experience is today or, or maybe pre-pandemic is you walk into a room, whether that's a conference room or maybe a, uh, a lecture hall on a college campus, a, a place where um, a different presenter comes into the room every hour and has to get, get a system up and running, teach a class or deliver a presentation to a group, turn it off, and then you know five minutes later somebody else comes in. The way that works today is you touch a shared surface. In other words, there's a control panel on the wall or there's a touch panel there, something on the table, and you walk in and you physically touch that and start the room up and running. But post-pandemic, people are hesitant to touch some of those shared surfaces that everybody else has been touching in there, right? So 
again, the, from a user experience side, having the ability to walk in and, uh, for lack of a better term, almost rent the control time on your own mobile device. I mean, rent be, but being free. In other words, you walk in with a mobile device, you scan a QR code, and now the controls for that room are now on your smartphone or your tablet, and you no longer have to touch a shared surface in that room. That's huge. I mean, from a liability standpoint, from a corporate standpoint, from a you know a college campus standpoint, you're not spreading germs potentially this way. Your your presenters feel more comfortable coming in. Uh, I think that's tremendous. Uh, I, I think also having the ability to schedule programming is really big. So that uh, again, if I go back to a college uh, application, if your classes start every day at 8 a.m., your programming runs on a schedule at 7:55. All the rooms turn on, the projectors fire up, the lamps get warm, everything's set. So when, when a presenter comes in, they just connect to an HDMI cable or the Wi-Fi and, and they're teaching. And they don't have to worry about technology because their job isn't technology. Their job is the transfer of information to people sitting in, in chairs or in Zoom windows. And that's what we want them to be able to focus on. Um, and second thought here, um, as you mentioned, Hall launching a new control system. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, we have. We just launched that at, at Infocom last month. Uh, we do have a new control solution. It's called Hive, H-I-V-E uh, Hive, and uh, it's a cloud-based control solution. And one of the things that separates it uh, from some other similar competitors in the market is it's a driverless, driverless cloud-based control solution. And I, I say that um, when you think about drivers with the control system you want to control somebody else's equipment you have to get their command sets then you write some syntax around that so that it works with your control system turn it on turn it off uh, every manufacturer that makes an electronics product has command sets on off volume up volume down etc uh, so Hall kind of being late to the game in terms of having a control solution, we looked at it and said, how do we jump in and, and put out a program, uh, a control program that's relevant when there are brands out there who have thousands, if not tens of thousands of drivers written for products all over. So we thought, let's not write drivers because we can't, we may not be able to compete if we just try to write drivers. So our thought was to build a database of all of the command sets that exist and then from your cloud-based control system, uh, which is IP-based, you'll simply say, you know, the TV on the wall, which is brand X, model one, two, three, use, use those command sets. And boom, those command sets get mapped to the virtual buttons that are on your touch panel, on, off, volume up, volume down. And of course, you can edit those and change them if you want. Now, from your touch panel, when you recall TV X, command power on, which is option number two, whatever, it just sends that command set to the display with that IP address and the TV turns off. No need to write a, a driver from, for that. And the big advantage of that is, uh, you know, again, if on site, uh, if you've got an IT staff maybe who manages uh, a, a bunch of uh, buildings in a, rooms in a, in a building facility and maybe a, an Epson projector uh, has an issue and so they swap it with a, a you know, a Stanio projector. Um, so rather than having to roll a truck or write a driver for the new projector, you're simply able to go into the software, pick the new projector, the new model, and you're done. It automatically will be able to communicate with it, send the commands to it, and it, all the way around it makes the experience for the integrator and the programmer easier, the learning curve is lower, and the um, usability for the end user is better. So that's called Hive. You can, you can learn more about that at uh, Hall Tech AV. 
Com. It's a product that's launching in Q1, and we do have videos out on social media from Infocom showing showing that control experience. So uh, actually, it's a good good way for us to wrap up. Um, you know, with, with that with that said, how, how do people get in touch with you and uh, and uh, learn more? Yep. Um, so I am uh, my first name, first initial, last name. So it's K Eagle at Haltech AV. Feel free to email me anytime. Uh, I, I like to use social media. You can find me on LinkedIn all the time. Feel free to hit me up there as well. It's just Ken Eagle. Uh, and of course, always at our website, haltechav.com. So uh, Greg Matson from QSC, thanks for joining us uh, today. How can people get in touch with you, learn more about QSC or QSIS and, and uh, Q, QSC control? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we, you know, uh, we, we were talking a lot about training, so all of our training courses and, uh, and uh, for for both our audio and control products are available online without any sort of customer gate. So feel free to give those a, a, a look, see if you're curious. Um, but yeah, if you're trying to reach me, um, uh, I also will uh, unabashedly give out my email address. Um, so I'm Greg Matson, G R E G dot M A T T S O N at QSC dot com. Um, most people who who know me in the industry know that I love to talk about this stuff. So uh, feel free to hit me up if you'd like. Uh, alternatively, you can also use QSIS control feedback at qsc.com, which is a general e e email inbox that hits myself as well as other members of the control team uh, here at QSC. Did you also want to mention really quickly, because I'm very impressed with this uh, QSC communities. Ah, yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. So, uh, back in May, um, uh, myself and some other, some other folks at, uh, QSC, uh, uh, launched our new, um, developer community, uh, QSC communities, such as it's, uh, which is, uh, developers.qsc.com. Um, this is a platform, uh, kind of a forum style platform where you can submit feature request ideas, uh, exchange. Um, we, we actually have a code exchange for exchanging of open source software, uh, and, and, and some of these drivers that Ken was just talking about, uh, as well as, uh, more, more isolated centric groups for, for communication, um, with, uh, without having to necessarily use social media for those of us that don't necessarily want to participate professionally through Facebook. So uh, a lot of members of our development and engineering teams are all active. Uh, I myself respond to messages several times a day uh, uh, through QSC communities. So uh, yeah, uh, I suggest you all take a look and check it out. Um, it's uh, There's a lot of information there. Is there, I'm sorry, is there a URL or anything that they need to yeah, sign up? So that was, that was uh, developer uh, developers, excuse me, developers.qsc.com. Excellent. Uh, last but not least, uh, Rich, uh, another great show. Any uh, final words or, or takeaways that you had in particular from this one? It's cool stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning left and right. Um, it, you know, uh, we, we talk about this all the time that, um, you know, part of why we're doing this is we either work for a company or we own a company that is in this space. And if you want to be good at what you do, but more importantly, if you want to get paid for what you do, um, 
invest the time in making yourself better and, and, and more valuable. And so, um, listen to these guys, you know, I've been around too long that I probably have more bad advice than good advice. Uh, but if you do want to follow my bad advice, you know, maybe I'll start a new, maybe I'll start, I'll, I'll start a new trend. Uncle Richie's bad advice, wrong answers only. Uh, <laughs> you can find us on the website for Uh, you can find me on social media, on Twitter at rfragosa. You can type my name into the interwebs. Various things come up, uh, most of it business-related, uh, unless you like seeing about uh, twin puppy beagles. You can also see that, too. But uh, but first and foremost, as has become my uh, my habit, uh, the best place I hope you find me is here on avianation.tv and our suite of shows, obviously here with my partner Steve, but all our other shows and all the other verticals, and by supporting our sponsors. That would be awesome. And uh, I would argue that it's Uncle Richie's words of wisdom. So maybe we should put that together. But thank thank you all for joining us today. And as Rich said, please visit avnation.tv to learn more about all the shows and check out the sponsors. But also, selfishly, we'd like to hear from you. So please leave us a comment, a note, a uh, reach out to us directly, um, leave us a review, all those things. Share the episode. We, we want to know what you think. And we'd also... Uh, encourage you to reach out to, to the folks that uh, joined us today and, and tell them what you think as well. Uh, for me, Steve Greenblatt, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on most social media platforms or my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. And that's a wrap for this episode of A State of Control.